Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. Everybody doing good? Anybody glad they came to church? Look at your, uh, the person you, you came with and say, you needed this today. Because you've been struggling this week. And I could tell you needed some Jesus. Oh, you don't have to say all that. I'm just playing with you. Hey, if it's your first time here, we're so glad that you have joined us today. Church, can we welcome all of our first-time guests? Give them a big hand clap. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. No golf claps. Come on. <clears throat> we're so glad that you're here with us. Today's a special Sunday. We have a guest speaker with us today. And I want to give him as much time as possible. And so um, yeah, Ed, Ed comes to us all the way from San Antonio, Texas, but originally grew up in South Africa. And he is just an amazing man who it travels the world um, doing prophetic ministry, equipping, teaching, and um, just doing all the things that he's done. He told me this week he's been doing this for over 40 years. So he's like, hey, just pick something and I'll talk about it. He is a plethora of knowledge and um, just a, a lot of fun. And I said this on Friday, but what I appreciate most, just because that's just the way I am, I love his sense of humor. So you guys go ahead and put on your spiritual uh, seatbelt because it's about to get crazy in here, all right? Hey, can we give it up for Mr. Ed Trout? Helps to put it on, my Family of God, this morning I want to tell you that with every breath that I take, I'm deeply grateful and give thanks to the Lord Jesus for who He is and what He is to me. I was only 13 when I gave my heart to Jesus. It was such a phenomenal sensation that I did it five Sundays in a row. I kept getting saved and born again and cried my way to salvation because it was just such an amazing, nostalgic feeling that to tell me, do you have to keep doing this? I don't know, just like where it felt was so real. And he is such a savior to have died for me and ensured my eternity and my name in the book of life. But it's been such an amazing life and journey with him. I came from a broken home, as many people have and have done, especially lately in the last years. But when, of course, you talk in the 50s and 60s, it wasn't very common. And so it was a journey for me and a half. We came from a German-Jewish family that had exiled the Holocaust. So there were so many things in my life, but salvation changed everything. And every day of my life has been such a wonderful journey. And I'm grateful for the salvation. I'm grateful for my eternal home waiting for me. But I'm more, far more excited about the ongoing relationship and what he means to me as friend, Lord, Savior, lover, Father. All these things he completes and fulfills. I can genuinely say I have everything in him, and I hope and I want and I desire that for you. I desire that you can also taste and see that the Lord is good. Many of you in this room today are looking for happiness, whether it be in financial security or in a relationship of some kind, whatever it is, whether it's husband, wife, friend, girlfriend, boyfriend, children, whatever it is you're looking for, I promise you what you're really looking for, you can only find in him. And he will be found of you when you seek for him with all of your heart. There is no question about that. So this morning I would like to teach, I leave my Bible behind, or Jesus likes iPhone. I know that because his name's I am. And so I am, iPhone, iMac, iPad, all works for me. All right, so I'm reading from the book of John, 
chapter 11. Zu dem Deutsch reden können, heißt das Johannes Kapitel 11. Und wir fangen, gibt da jemand Deutsch können? Ja? Was? Russland. Bist du Deutsch? Kommst du aus Deutschland? I'm too fast. Okay, you speak a little German, okay. Wer? wer? Bist du Deutsch? Wie heißt du dann? You don't know. Okay, doesn't speak. Okay. I asked him what his name was and he shook his head. He doesn't know what his name is. Huh? Okay, well, German is what you'll all speak when you go to heaven. All right, so start practicing. <laughs> all right, so we're reading from the book of John, chapter 11 now. Jesus had several interesting relationships. He had the 12 disciples that he really invested in and poured into on a consistent basis. He had his own family, natural family, which were, uh, he said, less important to him than people that are spiritual family. Is what he, that's what he said, the Lord Jesus said. And I believe that is our platform of all our confidence and faith, that we are family together. Because Jesus said that we're really going to be together a long time, the born-again family. And, of course, he had other relationships. John the Baptist was a distant relative of his that was the forerunner. But he had different other relationships that were interesting. And this particular family, and I want to describe it to you, John writes it, of course, in John chapter 11, This thing is wobbling. Why is it wobbling like that? It's making me drunk. All right. All right. There was a family near to Jerusalem. In verse 17 of chapter 11 of the book of John, it says, um, on his arrival, that's the Lord Jesus, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And this is what John writes now. He writes, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Why would John write that if he's from there? Why would he write that? Because it was many years later. John was only 18 when he met Jesus. And, of course, he was, in his, uh, he was in his young 20s when Jesus died. And he was only going in his 40s when Jerusalem, late 40s, when Jerusalem was annihilated. The city was absolutely destroyed and leveled. And so Jerusalem was no longer the way that he knew it. But when he wrote this book, it was way in those years. And so he's referring to people to read this account who can't even visualize Jerusalem and Bethany anymore. That's why he says, now Bethany was less than two miles, which is very close from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So this particular group or this family lived in a little town on the eastern side of the city, very convenient. Jesus spent a lot of time in that close proximity to the temple. There was a valley called the Kidron, which is a, Jerusalem has three valleys. It forms a natural shin, which is the 22nd letter of the alphabet uh, in Hebrew, which is the symbol for God. And it forms a natural symbol like God had put his imprint on the, on the city itself. And on the right-hand side or the eastern side, we have the Mount of Olives. Jesus spent a lot of time in the Mount of Olives because he could view Jerusalem. In fact, he said, I've longed to hold you from sitting there. That's where he said and looked upon Jerusalem as a, a city of peace and a city of God with God's hand on it. And then a little bit more to the east, you find the town on the hill called Bethany, a very good base for him to work from, very close proximity to the temple. And this family were well-to-do and well-liked and well-respected with this Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And clearly, on more than one occasion, John tells how much he loved them, especially Lazarus. And Lazarus got sick 
but he was not anymore in Jerusalem or in that proximity. He had left because they were trying to kill him in the previous chapters, and he'd gone down to the Dead Sea area where the Jordan ran into the Dead Sea, and that's where he was teaching. It was much warmer. It was winter. It was, if you read a chapter before, you'll see it was winter, which means that they could even have snow sometimes, and I've been there when it snowed in winter. And Jerusalem is about 2,700 feet above sea level. We're about 3,300 feet above sea level here. San Antonio is about 300 feet, which is a big drop, so it's always warmer there than it is here. And so it is in also the Dead Sea's 1,300 feet below sea level. So it's a considerable drop, and that's where he was. And they sent word to him that, come help, Lazarus is sick. And he was very much more than just someone he knew on a casual uh, relationship. He was befriended, and the scripture says he loved Lazarus. And yet he said he, he will not go now. And when Lazarus had died, he told his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And he hadn't fallen asleep. They said, well, if you'll wake up, then you'll be fine. You'll wake up. No, no, not that kind of sleep. He has died. And so we must leave and go. And they said, but Lord, they're trying to kill you in Jerusalem. He said, we're safe because we're going to go in the light of God, in God's timing. And he arrives there. And when he arrives, it says there, it had already been a few days that he'd been in the tomb. So he's been dead for a while. He was sick for several days. And Jesus did not come to help, even though he had a relationship with him. I wonder how you feel when you really call upon the Lord and need a miracle and God's just not in a hurry. It's this most frustrating thing. You wonder why God doesn't help, why he doesn't get in a hurry with anything. This one boy in, in Mark, he's having an epileptic seizure. And the, Jesus looks at the boy who's writhing on his floor. He's foaming at the mouth. His eyes are rolled back. And this is what Jesus says. So, how long has it been like this? In my mind, I'm going, really, Jesus? We're going to have this conversation? <coughs> the child needs your help now. Could we ask him after this, why are we having the, it just didn't make sense. And God will often not be in a hurry. You could be in the middle of a crisis and God's just not helping. And you feel abandoned or less than, less than really loved or important to God. And the devil will capitalize on that. But the Lord wants us to trust him either way. These were not ordinary people that had met Jesus. They were not only providers for him. They were not only people that had had him several times in their home. They were his friends. They were much closer. So when you're a child of God and you go to church a lot and you've devoted your life to him, there is an expectancy that God will respond to you. Because you've been walking with the Lord. You expect because you've devoted your life to God that he'd do his part and respond. And so that's why they sent word, your friend, your one you care about is sick, come and help. And he hadn't come, and now it's three days already, Lazarus is dead in a tomb. It's not like it just died, quickly let's go help while the body's still warm. He's gone, he's ice cold, he's rigor mortis, it's, it's already done. And so many Jews had come to comfort because that shows you they were well-to-do and recognized by many and famous. They were loved. And so many came from all over to comfort them. This is not any ordinary family. And verse 20 says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. That's what she said. But Mary stayed at home. Now Martha meets him in verse 21 and says, Lord, Martha said, to you, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I wonder if you ever felt in your life 
that God let you down. Somehow, if only we'd left five minutes later, we could have avoided that car accident. Why didn't God stop me doing, why didn't God help me? If you ever wondered that in your life, the devil likes to torment you to not trust God. If you, if you knew what God knew, you wouldn't need to trust him. And he's not able to explain to you all the things he's doing because we really don't have the capacity. I told him yesterday, God's already dumbed the Bible down to kindergarten level for us just to get us to understand a little bit. I mean, really, picture the creator of universes and galaxies, one after another. And then he writes us the book. He says, in the beginning, and he writes about the book, and he says, in the garden, there were two trees. It's like we, we're kindergarten. That's as much as we can, we can absorb. It's two trees. Yay! Two trees. Right? Good knowledge of good and evil. How does that look? And the tree of life. And, but it's all the symbolism because God has to dumb it down for us because we cannot. We try to understand, I know what God's doing. No, you don't. You haven't got a clue. He's way bigger. His ways are so much higher than your ways. But you can be sure that his word is true. So if he says he loves you and he's got your back, that's all you need. You don't need to see, know, you don't have to, any information, you've got to believe what he says because you're safe. His words are true and don't return void and he's exactly what he says he is. Right? You, stay with me. It's very important. So Martha, Martha rises and says, you should have been here. Then he would not have died. She's holding him almost hostage, accountable, and some people, I know I've done it in my life, feel frustrated with God because he allowed certain things to happen when we, even we prayed and asked. They'd already sought him. They'd sent word. Yet they expected him to come because they're not just ordinary acquaintances. They were much closer. They were really a base for him, and they'd been in relationship with him so many years already. They expected not just some passerby that got miracles. You've done so many miracles for so many people. We are not just ordinary people. We've been there for you, Jesus. We've been faithful to you. We expected you. The least you could do is what you do for all the other people. Give us a miracle. Come and help us with Lazarus. Now he's dead. You should have been here. Now he's dead. And then she says, but... Mary, Martha had a big butt. <laughs> but I know, she says. She didn't say, you like that, do you? <laughs> he didn't say, I believe, I hope. She says, I know. Knowing is the highest form of faith. You hope a positive expectancy. You get faith from hearing the word. But when you know something, you know it because you know it. There's no, I don't, I don't hope I'm going to heaven. I'm very sure. I believe with all of my heart. I don't hope or believe there's a God. I know there's a God. Do you understand the difference? She says, I, but, but she says, even now I know. What do you know? That when you pray, God hears you. What? What are you saying, Martha? She says, but I know that even now when you pray, God hears you. He's dead, you should have been here, but even now, I know that if you pray, God hears you. Am I getting you right? Are you saying that you think there's a chance of a miracle still? Is that what you're telling me? Is it, what are you saying? So Jesus responds to her and he says, you know your brother will rise again. This is now Martha who got rebuked because she was cooking in the kitchen 
and she came out whining because Mary was gaga gaga and didn't even help her. You try, you try and roll out 342 tortillas for that many people because Jesus didn't come by himself. Never ever. He always came with a group. He would have an entourage always. So you couldn't just feed one or two. It is a serious catering process to feed Jesus and his crowd. And Martha's doing all by a little lonesome and Mary, who should be helping her, is listening to everything he's teaching. And Jesus rebukes her because she's more concerned about the natural than she is about the supernatural. Remember that account? And now she says, but I know that when you pray, God hears you. Whatever you ask, whatever you ask, your brother will rise again. Martha, Martha answers in verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, no, no, wait, wait, wait. I am, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She says these most astounding words. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Hamashiach. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. Understand when Peter said that, it got Jesus excited. But most Christians don't even notice that she acknowledges him more as just a Savior and a Messiah, but actually as the Son of God. You know, it's very difficult for a Jew to grasp that. For thousands of years, their first prayer that they pray, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. That's the first thing you learn as a child to recite, to pray, and every prayer encompasses that. And here, God had a son from Nazareth, of all places, not even a, a strategic place like Jerusalem or Bethlehem, has to be Nazareth, which is nobody, nothing going anywhere. It doesn't make any sense. It's an outpost. And then this is now he had a son. And she says, she says, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God and, and who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here and asking for you. And verse 29 says, when Mary had heard this, she got up, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, verse 30 says, Now Jesus had not yet entered the village. Only Mary went back. Martha went back. But was still at the place where Martha had met him. So get this facts together. After she says, You are the Son of God, Jesus sits down. He says, Go call your sister. I'm thinking, didn't we come here to raise or heal Lazarus? How come we've abandoned that thought now? We're in a whole different sidetrack here. What's really going on? Because the Lord Jesus is more focused on eternity than your immediate happiness, relief, comfort, whatever you're looking for. He's got a much bigger plan in motion. Because this earth is so temporary and so minute compared to eternity. We want immediate satisfaction. We want an answer now. We need God to help us. We think about, think about the same thing. I need a breakthrough financially. I've got this, this legal problem, or I have this marriage problem, or the sickness thing, or my kids. Are, you've got something that's bothering you all the time, and you need God to break through now. And God's talking about something else completely. The prophet comes and prophesies nothing that you're looking for, because God's focused on something much more eternal that's more important to him. Stay with me. And so... He sits down and says, go call your sister, Mary. Now, Mary's the one who listened to him teach and talk all the time. So now, having seen Martha, who was supposedly carnal and messed up, come with such revelation and such understanding, 
and faith. He's excited to see the advancement in this storm. God's always looking when you're in your crisis, what's really going on, how much you've learned, and what's inside of you. After a long day of teaching his disciples, he's tired, and he says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Did he know there'd be a storm? Yeah. Why would he send them across there? Because we're going to the other side. Why wouldn't you tell them about the storm? Because if he tells them about the storm, all their faith and energy would be focused on getting the boat ready for the storm and trying to brace themselves and be ready and overcome the storm. There's no focus on what he said, the other side. And God wants you to focus on what God has promised you, not on the trials or the testing or the difficulties or the bumps in the road on the way there. Because you can get so focused on the bumps, you forget about where we're going. And God wants you to focus. And after the full day of teaching, he expected them to be saturated with faith that the storm would be nothing for them. So when they panic and they, like any good Christian, accuse God, don't you care that we're drowning? Sounds familiar? We don't. We're too spiritual. We say, I just don't understand. That's how we say it in a much more conducive way. But it's the same thing. What you up to, God? Come on now. This is not why you're supposed to have behave with me. I've been, I've been one of you. I'm, belong, I'm one of yours. Come on now. Jesus, break through. Help me. And he's just not in a hurry. And so there's a storm. Don't you care that we're drowning? And he calms the storm. And he says, do you still have no faith? After all you've been teaching, all you've been through, and in your life, God's been investing inside of you, and unto him is given much, is much required. He wants more from you. He wants you to produce what he's putting inside of you. Do you understand? It's very important. So those storms, storms are your friends. Storms are designed and especially for you to help grow. You need the storm. And all he tells you is about the other side. He's taking a nap, knows the storm's coming, but he, told, he gave you his word. What did God say in your life? Whatever you're going through, what was the promises God gave you before? What is real to you? Now, here's Mary, and so he sends for Mary, and she comes. But the response of Jesus is very different to the response of Martha. Because when Mary gets there, it says there, when Mary reached in verse 32, the place where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell at his feet. Very dramatic. And said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Exactly the same words as Martha, but her butt was not as big. In fact, she had no butt at all. When Jesus saw, and I make those jokes to make sure that you get it inside of your spirit, man. You don't forget what I'm teaching you. It's very important. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. Was he troubled because they were crying? Was he troubled because Lazarus was dead? Surely not. He was not in a hurry to come when he heard Lazarus was sick. He, didn't, he was not stressed about Lazarus at all. He was troubled because... Mary was the one that went to church every Sunday. Mary is the one that was so actively involved in all the things spiritually, and when it came to a crunch and a crisis, she folded like a cheap tent. And Martha, who was up and down, messed up, kept being the target of people's concern because she wasn't that spiritual, she produced the fruit. She heard the word and she believed it. She said to him, I know even now when you pray, God hears you. I know about the resurrection, and I know that you're the Messiah and the Son of God. She was fully persuaded in who he was. And Mary, who had listened and listened and listened, she just didn't get it. So I figured it out that 
It's not how we start. It's how we finish. And if you faltered and made a few mistakes and even got a few rebukes, it's okay. You haven't finished yet. Let's finish the whole race and straighten up. Get up and move on. Don't live there where you made a mistake because you'll make a few more. And you're allowed to have mistakes. Just get up. Don't stay there. The righteous fall seven times, but they get up. They get up. Get up. You're on your journey. You've made a decision. Just follow the Lord. Keep going. And so he follows them. And in verse 35, which is a very famous verse, Jesus wept. He cried. You don't see him anywhere else doing that. People always think he was travailing, sorrowful. He wasn't sorrowful. He was actually praying. I know he was praying because we see, he sees in verse 38, it goes, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across it and just take it with a stone. And he said to her, but Lord, the Martha said, the, the sister of the dead man, my brother this time is a bad odor. He stinketh for he's been there four days. He said, did I not tell you? I'm reminding you again what the promise was. You'd, if you believe, you'd see the glory of God. Have you forgotten? Even though she confessed the faith, every once in a while we need to be reminded. That's why we keep rehearsing with the promises of God. So I took away the stone. This is the part. Then Jesus looked up. Why is he looking up? The clouds? No, it's a spiritual gesture. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Uh, when was that? When he wept. I thank you that you heard me. <laughs> But I said this to benefit all the people here because I know you always hear me. So they may, they may know that you are my father. That's what he's saying that for. But he prayed when he wept. He was travailing for the spirit of Lazarus to come back. When he saw that Mary just didn't get it and Martha had he re, okay, it's time. I found out what I wanted to know. Let's just get that spirit back in the body. And he begins to weep. He's He's praying it back. He's calling back that spirit back into the body. And so when he comes there, and of course it says there, then he, the, he calls in a loud voice. He says that this, um, he shouted in a loud voice. Where does it say that now? Where am I? I lost my verse now. What verse am I? 43. Okay, thank you. The phone changed on me. So the, 43. He calls in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I always thought it was a mistake calling aloud. Didn't need to shout. Because he's so powerful and so anointed that I think all the Lazarus of the whole planet came out of their graves. <laughs> and all the angels would go, no, not you, not you, not you. <laughs> but can you imagine the reality of what happened? He's been dead in that tomb four days now. And they've been crying. They've been taking Valium because they can't sleep at night. They're so depressed because they didn't expect him to die. He's young. And, and they know, they've seen Jesus in action. If nothing else, then he should have come and helped them. They were expecting that. And now he's dead four days. Like, really, this is, all this has happened. It's like, how did this happen to us? My brother's young. It wasn't time for him to die. And here he comes out of the grave walking. I mean, he was wrapped in, in, in grave clothes, face and hands and everything else. And Jesus says, come on out. Now, it's been dark. The stones rolled. It's dark. And suddenly now, four days later, there's light coming through this, this bed. And he's all bound, and Jesus says, come out, Lazarus. I could see him going, uh, yeah, about that. A hand in here, please. Somebody help me. I can't move. Can you imagine him with his grave clothes come walking out of that grave? 
the girls are not going to go, Martha and Mary go, whoo, that's cool, that looks so, yeah. They must, have, they must have screamed after being so tired and crying, their eyes are swollen, their faces for days, everyone's comforting them all the time, re- revising and rehearsing what, how they remember Lazarus' little boy, and, yeah, and now he comes walking out of the grave. It's not like, oh, that's nice. No, it is like serious pandemonium. They must have screamed. It must have been such a lot of commotion going on when he came out of that grave. And they must have run to... You know, a funny thing, when God calls you out of death, out of darkness, out of sin, you're not dead anymore. You're out of that grave, but you still have grave clothes on. And he told them to help clean him up. And so often when you're born again, you need someone to help just clean you up a little bit from where you've been and where you've come from. We have to help each other so we can be cleansed. Please don't get so excited in this room. It's overwhelming. Okay, are you, with, are you still with me? I'm teaching you the Word of God. So these three people, Lazarus was loved of God, and he experienced the death and the miracle. In fact, Lazarus, after he rose from the grave, the Jews, the leaders in Jerusalem, when they heard this, tried to kill him. How lovely is that? Because they'd rather be right than have Lazarus live. They couldn't stand it that Jesus would have that kind of effect. They tried to kill him. Of course, they weren't successful, but it was such a ripple effect so far, so amazing, this incident. And God hasn't changed. He's the same God in your life. You need him to do a miracle, and it seems a little late. It seems like it's too late. You can't lose hope now like Mary because it seems too late. Because he still has the power, even when it's too late. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. If you can believe, all things. Not some things, not most things. All things are possible if you can believe. Because the real fight is not against your, someone dying, your marriage, your health. The real fight is against your faith. In Luke 22, Jesus said, the devil has asked devil asked? Who did he ask? God. If he could sift the disciples. But I prayed for you, Peter. Yeah? I prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. Let me get this straight. The devil is going to try and sift us, and you prayed not that we overcome the devil or bind him. You prayed that my faith wouldn't fail? Because really, what's really going to happen when the devil's after you or beating you up whatever he can He's really after your faith. He's saying there's got to be a place that you won't believe God anymore. I've got to be able to do something to you that you'll doubt there's really a God. Or that you doubt that God really loves you or even hears your prayers. There's got to be a place that I can so doubt. The first time he spoke in the Bible, he said to Eve, did God really say? That you must not eat of this tree. That's the first thing he said. Did God, if you can just falter your faith, the war is constantly against your faith. Mary heard the word, but her faith was gone. Martha was up and down, but she believed. I know, she says, that when you pray now, God will hear you. I know, I believe that you're the Messiah and the Son of God. She had such confidence. So the devil's going to do all he can to bring you down and destroy your faith. Now, each one of these people had a different story to tell. 
Martha was human, and even after hearing the word and hearing what Jesus said, she still said, you can't open that grave. He's, 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 but you, didn't you say that if I pray, God will hear me? And I just said to you that I've prayed, and now you don't want me to open the grave. Don't you believe? What happened? Why? What's your faith? Because we go through ripple effect, and it's okay. Just get up again. Don't stay there, because she ended well. She really touched the heart of Jesus because she believed where Mary didn't. So I'm here to invite you to that place in your life to believe God because you don't feel like you're a good, good Christian. You think you have to deserve something. Let me put that straight into bed once and for your life for all because none of you are good in this room, not one. Not one of us. We're all rotten to the core. That's why we needed Jesus. He didn't save us because we were cool or good. <clears throat> he didn't save us just for that moment. Now we have to make sure we don't make any mistakes. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. <clears throat> and he's always going to be your righteous. He's always going to make a way for you. He's always going to be your covering. He won't change. He's such a big God. He's not petty. He spent an expensive price. Expensive. There was no other son to pick from. He gave all he had to get you in. So don't make it cheap. By every time you do something stupid, you think you don't deserve God anymore. Get the full of the word and find out what God's talking about, what the salvation looks like. You understand God's salvation. You are seriously important. You wouldn't even be here today if God hadn't picked you. He picked you amongst many people. He chose you. He said, you didn't choose me. He said that. You didn't choose me. I chose you. God chose you. You didn't choose yourself because you feel like you falter because the devil's always the accuser. He's always telling you how rotten you are. He reminds me daily of all the mistakes and what's wrong in your life, whatever he can do to make put you down. And you make mistakes enough for him to use. He loves to bring condemnation, but there is no condemnation to those in Christ. And you're here today because you are in Christ, because you are seeking God. If you're not in him, you're on your way there. And I'm here to tell you today, don't you stop. Don't you stop. You go past, go and collect 200, whatever you don't stay there, wherever you are, because God loves you. He's numbered the hairs on your head. He's got your back. He's got your front. He's got your sides. He's got you. And you're going to do it. And whatever your relationship with you, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, whatever, whatever part you are playing with the Lord right now, he's consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is your strength and your helper. Can you say amen? amen? Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.